So would you return to the church where the pastor stood you up for that first meeting with you and your fiancé? Or would you discover that the fellow who did show up might possibly become a very good friend and mentor? Hello, this is Todd Littleton with Pathological, the podcast for the pastor theologian. Today on the podcast, I'm glad to have Tier Hardy. Tier is one of the three voices behind the microphones at the podcast, Crackers and Grape Juice. That's right. Uh, after this podcast uh, goes live, I will be batting a thousand. That's three for three. I've interviewed Jason Michelli, Morgan Guyton, and now Tier Hardy. They haven't always known one another. And part of the fascinating conversation is not just how they met, but how they interact uh, theologically and their various contexts and perspectives. And really, in the end, I think one of the things that I came away with was really thinking about the value of relationships. And so I hope you will enjoy the podcast. And if you haven't subscribed to Crackers and Grape Juice, let me encourage you to do so. Of course, we want you to subscribe here to Pathological. You can do that on iTunes, Stitcher, or favorite podcatcher, and uh, it would wouldn't hurt us if you went over and left a review or a five star rating or both. Actually, remember if you leave a review, it takes uh, about twenty four hours for it to show up in the iTunes directory, so you haven't made a mistake or erred in uh, posting. I have some announcements at the end of the podcast, so stay around for that. And as always, if you find this valuable, remember to share the podcast. Here's my conversation with Tier. All right, today on the podcast, I'm uh, glad to have uh, Tier Hardy. Tier is uh, I affectionately call uh, the uh, the tech guru behind the crackers and grape juice. Uh, he's probably more than that. He probably keeps everybody like on task, on subject. And on schedule. So uh, it's one of my favorite podcasts to listen to. I don't miss an episode. I recommend you don't miss an episode. And if you like it and listen, then rate it and share it and then say, thank you, Tier Hardy. <laughs> That's really too kind because I'm just the only one that knows how to use a computer really well. And it's pretty scary um, in uh, 2016. Well, it was scary yesterday. We were supposed to be talking with uh, Fleming Rutledge. It was Jason and I, and just had a complete meltdown of my computer, his computer, and her computer. Like, just couldn't get the internet satellites to line up, and it was like thirty minutes of just complete embarrassment. Um, well, let's start. So I don't there. know if I'm the tech guy. Yeah, well, <laughs> let's start there because I, uh, you know, I, I absolutely love Fridays with Fleming. Um, yeah, I she's forget. Awesome. I forget who, and it may have been. Oh, I know what it was. Yeah. Uh, Jason did the uh, series on Scott McKnight's blog, uh, yeah, on on uh, Fleming's book. So I, I I man crush you guys. So I I went and got the book and I you know was reading, and uh, then you had her on. Wow, what a gem! Yeah, she is amazing. And and that book um, it's titled The Crucifixion: Understanding the Death of Jesus Christ. It's one of those books that like the intro itself is like longer than most of the chapters. Yes. Um, and I am like, I believe three chapters into it. 
And it's one of those books where you like you have to read it, put it down and digest it for like a few weeks and then you can pick it back up. And it's just it's crazy heavy, but it's like accessible and yeah, it's it's an awesome book. It really is. I, I think I, I, I found the same thing you did. Um, uh, I think I'm probably about halfway, maybe a little beyond halfway through. My problem is I read too many books at the same time. Um, and so, yeah, uh, I, I got, uh, uh, I don't know if I shamed him or guilted him or what, but I got, I got Jason to send me, uh, his, uh, PDF so I could read it before it dropped. Uh, you know, cancer is funny and, mm-hmm. uh, good grief. I still haven't gotten the copy. I of stopped it. everything. I stopped everything. I'm, I'm, I'm going to finish it today. And, uh, I, uh, I I read it to my wife at eleven o'clock last night. Nearly an entire chapter. I'm like, you've got to hear this, you know, and and so uh, you know, uh, listening to Fleming and and then you guys and then man, I, I've I've heard Willeman, never met him, and you guys, you know, have Willeman on, and they have N.T. Wright. Look at my goodness, I've had dinner with N.T. Wright. I can't get him on a podcast. Well, I haven't tried to get him on a podcast yet, but I don't know how that happened. Hey, listen, you guys are famous. You guys are you guys are famous across the land, man. I'm doing all I can. I'm doing all I can to pick you guys. Um, you know, so when when uh, when we talk about the the fact that you you all developed um, these relationships, so you all know one another somewhere along the way. How did that happen? Yeah. Um, so Jason, um, I met Jason by accident. Actually, we were my wife and I were shopping for churches to get married at, um, we weren't going to a church at the time. Um, I grew up in the church and so, so did she, and we both kind of just were the typical, um, 20 somethings not interested in the church. And, but so the first pastor that was supposed to marry us, um, no showed on our premarital counseling, which is actually the senior pastor at Jason's church, Dennis Perry. And so after talking to the church, we got stuck with Jason, um, which actually turned out to be great. Um, and then that was kind of like our first meeting and that was back in 2009. And that's just been a, you know, a growing, uh, friendship since then. And then I went on staff, um, at Aldersgate with him a few years later, about a year after I started at Wesley seminary in DC. Um, and then to meet Morgan, I met Morgan through Jason actually for the podcast. We had like a hundred mutual friends because the Virginia conference is really big, but it's also really small. Um, so he and I knew of one another, but we had never actually met until we started doing the podcast, oh. which was kind of weird at first. Um, uh, but it was cool because we got to get to know each other as, you know, the people who were listening, were getting to know each other. Um, and then I think actually the first time Morgan and I met face to face, was at um, annual conference this year. Okay. When when we did the uh, live uh, right. pub theology right. episodes, um, we had been you know of course been doing episodes online via Skype and talking via email at ex- you know extensively trying to get this thing rolling, but we hadn't actually met one another until. Uh-huh. And then and then it was like really weird because like you're doing these introductions to one another. Hi, I'm Tier. Hi, I'm Morgan. But you already know who each other are because you've seen each other. It's like if you and I were right. to meet, like right. I would see you and oh, that's Todd. So it'd right. be really weird, like sticking my hand out to shake your hand and saying, hi, I'm Tier Hardy. Nice to meet you. It was, <laughs> right. it was awkward, but, but it was, it's, it's been fun um, because all three of us have come from a different angle. Um, theologically, Jason's more of an academic. 
Morgan, I hope he doesn't get mad if I call him like the progressive, like firecracker. You really don't know what Morgan's going to say. And then I'm more of a practical guy. How's, how's this look like in real life? Cause it's great when we can talk about it and it sounds really good on a blog, but in the local congregation, when I'm working specifically with students, does this really work? And does this make sense? You actually brought that out on a recent podcast. I thought it was tremendous. You, you, you all had, I, I forget the particular subject off the top of my head, uh, but uh, you actually chimed in to say, it's interesting that we are talking about this particular thing, and, and yet we've got these three distinct different contexts, and you alluded to all three of those. Mm-hmm. So Morgan's in, in a collegiate ministry, and yeah. you're in student ministry, and, and uh, Jason's in parish ministry or, or, or at a local church. I, th- I think people miss that a great deal. You know that that those mm-hmm. are, um, it's work to translate what we're doing across those, but mm-hmm. it it is it is helpful when we hear uh, other people in those different contexts to not get so myopic that uh, everything's like what I do here. Yeah, I don't want, and that was one of the goals we had going into this conversation project podcast we were doing is that we would come from three different perspectives we would use language that is easy to understand or if we're going to use big churchy seminary words that you know if you say it you have to be able to explain it that's one of our rules and it's always fun to call people on it um because then it kind of you know throws them off and they have to think back oh crap what what does this actually mean i think Um, yeah i think you've (laughs) called morgan on it more than you've called the academic on it (laughs) yeah dude (laughs) Which is why I just don't do it because I'm afraid that I'm going to be get called on it. I'm going to have right. to explain something. Like right. today, we we recorded an episode for next week about the exclusivity of Christ, um, and I started talking about universalism and particularism and pluralism. And Jason stopped me. He's like, "Whoa, whoa, whoa! Now you have to explain all this." <laughs> um, thank God for Google Docs and being able to pull up your old notes there to make you sure go. you know what you're talking about. That's exactly right. <laughs> well, let's go back for a minute and. Um, you mentioned that when you met Jason, uh, you and your fiance weren't in church. And I'm not looking necessarily for a big dig, but uh, now involved in student ministry and considering your next steps in uh, Methodist ministry and that process you were describing earlier. Um, <clears throat> can you go back and name? Was it really just. Um, what normally, you know, we associate with 20-somethings do. They, you know, they grew up in church. You know, you, you, you get a little freedom, no external pressures to show up. Or were there other questions you had, other things going on that that today you might name? Yeah, um, it's funny. I graduated from high school um, intending, you know, I, I went to West Virginia Wesleyan College, which is the Methodist school in the middle of nowhere in West Virginia, I was going to study student ministry. I was going to become, I wanted to become a youth pastor. Like I had an awesome youth group experience as a kid. It, you know, when my parents divorced, I got in a lot of trouble a few times. And, you know, it, I found safety and I felt loved and it didn't matter what I did in, in that context. Um, not that there wasn't accountability. You know, I sure. did get smacked in the back of the head a few times. But so I wanted to help other kids do that. I wanted to provide, I wanted to be that person for other people other students. So I went to a Methodist school because that just made sense and what you were supposed to do. I never talked to a pastor about doing this. I just figured I'd figure it out on my own. Mm-hmm. Um, got to school and I ran into 
or not, yeah, we'll say I ran into the Campus Crusades for Christ. And then I was out. I was like, this is enough. This is crazy. These, like, you know, having, not having any background on knowing um, that it was okay to not have a saving moment. You know, I didn't have that. Growing up in the Methodist church, that wasn't um, something we talked about. It wasn't something that we were expected to be able to articulate. Um, You know, hearing that, you know, if I'm not saved, then it's questionable and whether or not I'm going to go to heaven. I'm like, I don't even know your name and you're telling me this stuff. Um, And so that just started raising questions for me. And then on top of that, I panicked, you know, being a freshman at a new school, um, wasn't entirely sure of student ministry beforehand. And now I'm like, I really want nothing to do with these people if this is what Christianity is. So I, I panicked, um, you know, studied criminal justice and, and got out of the church, left the church entirely. I would, um, you know, we went to Christmas and Easter when I was at home. I went to um, chapel a few times on campus, but that was mostly because I really liked the campus chaplain. Her name is Angela Gay Kincaid. She's in the West Virginia Conference. She's awesome. Um, but I was going, so more, going there more so because I enjoyed hearing her speak rather than wanting to go, you know, for worship or, you know, any type of Christian, Christian fellowship. So I, I joke around saying that, you know, I went into college to, be, to become a pastor and just ended up having a lot of fun while I was there instead. <laughs> you know, um, it, it might not be a bad little pause um, <clears throat> because, you know, my podcast is trying to locate important conversations intersecting pastoral work or church life. And that can be, you know, most people don't realize past pastoral work can actually be done by nearly anybody. You've got a genuine concern for somebody else and you're um, wanting to work in and with and around their lives to bring out the best possible, um, you know, life for them. And, and then, and, and we simply connect, we're connecting uh, a theological kind of hook. That is, we think there's something about Jesus that, you know, makes that really a little bit more than just um, a social coordinator. And, uh, yeah. and, and so uh, my background is, is Southern Baptist. So I, I could have easily been one of those kids you encountered at college mm-hmm. who would have had the grid that said, well, you mean you can't name your place and your time and your date? Mm-hmm. I mean, I've got a living Bible uh, with uh, that I was given in 1972. The date is in there when I yeah. confessed Jesus, you know. And, and so when that becomes your grid, you just don't understand the history behind that, that the whole idea of a, of a conversionist moment, if you will actually has uh, is more recent than we want to admit. And so when we meet someone who's in a different tradition, um, we look out of the corner of our eye like, yeah. oh, you're one of those. Uh-huh. And, and so I think it's really important that um, we don't um, universalize a particular tradition to say this is the way uh, because you don't have the ask Jesus into your heart prayers in the New Testament. Yeah, yeah, you're right. And it's what I just got back from doing. Uh, I was on a, at a mission camp a few weeks ago and I was leading 
program, evening program. Um, and on Thursday nights, typically cry night, you know, where you talk about salvation and everybody's exhausted and you play the right music and you lower the lights and one girl starts crying and it's like wildfire. Um, and typically at the end they would have the, they, they wanted, or it was more of a suggestion that you, this would be a good opportunity to invite students to pray the sinner's prayer. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, I said, no, I said, no, we're, we're not going to do that. We're going to keep this kind of upbeat. Um, and I joked with the worship leader, Chris, uh, I said, don't, there's, I, I, I don't want anything slow. I want a lot of bass drum, no Chris Tomlin, good, good father, nothing like this is happy. We're talking about salvation, which is a good thing and not a bad thing. So let's keep this happy. Yeah. And so for, for me, from just my context, it's just, you know, I just didn't have the framework back then. I had never been told that I needed to pray a certain prayer or I needed to, you know, sit in the, around the camp circle and cry and be saved um, you know, the summer that I was 15 and then have it happen again the summer when I was 16 and then maybe again the summer when I was 17 at the same camp sitting in the same row. I just, I didn't have that, that context coming from. Um, and so one of the things we've, I've really been working to do with our, the students I work with is just explain to them that the way we experience Christ and the way we articulate our faith, um, we might be using different language. We might be using different experiences. You know, I use different teaching styles than some youth pastors do, but we're still talking about the same Jesus. We're still talking about the same God. So when you go off to Virginia Tech or UVA or JMU, you know, this week or next week, you need to keep that in mind when you meet someone else. You know, when they're talking about Jesus, they're, yes, they're talking about the same Jesus that you learned about. They're still talking about the same risen God, all these great things, but they might be using different language. So don't panic like I did. And I think that's one of the great things that uh, if I leave my students with anything, you know, if I can only give them one thing when I leave, it's to just not panic when you get out of the safe confines of Great Bridge United Methodist Church or, you know, whatever your church is. Um, just don't panic when you experience new language about God because, it's, you know, for me, it took, gosh, six years after I panicked for me to really consider that, um, that there was more to this than, than I had originally experienced yeah. and that maybe I threw the baby out with the bathwater and right. I just overreacted. Well, I think the one way that I, I've watched it work <clears throat> is um, along the way, every move you make as a maturing human being, you learn a, some things new in your vocabulary. So, you know, you, you're obviously moving from the very concrete as a, as, a, as a young child to the ability to abstract uh, and talk about things in a speculative sort of way. And you're able to what if and, and maybe. And so every time you hear someone new that uses a different vocabulary, it's almost like you have a conversion experience. Yeah. You know, and, yeah. and, and so I watched Peers uh, you know, have those moments where, like you described it, we were at camp one year and, and they trusted Jesus in our parlance, our language. And then, you know, a year or two later, you know, they're doing that again. And then the rest mm-hmm. of us who didn't do that publicly were privately praying every night. Well, if I didn't say it the right way or use the right words, mm-hmm. I'm just saying it now kind of thing, you know. And it, 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 it created a good deal of anxiety. And I have no... Um, 
I have no doubt that a lot of people facing that anxiety would be the same as I panicked and left, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. uh, because uh, the idea of, of uh, engineered anxiety just seems to be counterintuitive to a liberating gospel. Exactly. And, yeah, that, that's, that's perfect. Yeah. So, um, yeah, and, and there's the expectation because, right, when I was at this camp, because I took my own students to this mission camp, and then two weeks later I was back leading program, and both Thursday mornings when I was on work sites with, with middle school students, they asked, so tonight's cry night, right? Like there's this expectation that there is supposed to be this experience that's going to happen. Um, and then if you don't have that experience um, and no one tells you it's okay to not have that experience, um, th- I think that can do, um, you know, long-term damage because, you know, you get confronted four or five years later by someone out in the quad at West Virginia Wesleyan College and you're like, whoa, like I didn't have that. So what am I doing? Um, but on the back side of that, you know, hindsight's twenty twenty. looking at how I've gotten to where I'm at now, there's been a maturing process, I think, to where um, when I was in the process, you know, the ordination process a few years ago, I probably wasn't ready to go into, you know, full-time parish ministry. Um, I had to work out some of my own baggage with the church. Um, and this, you know, taking a break from that process and just finishing um, my master's and not doing an MDiv, um, you know, allowed me the chance to kind of find myself theologically because I was just, you know, jumping from one great class to another, trying to figure out how to how do I put in this idea of doing worship really well with emergent communities and, oh, I really like missions. This is great. Oh, world religions are great. How do I put all of this together and make it fit? Um, you know, and having, you know, having to write a thesis about something forced me to figure out where I am at theologically instead of being this, you know, mutt that's just a little bit of everything. Um, and it was humbling too, because, you know, having to tell um, my family that I wasn't going to go continue the process. And then, you know, having that moment with my wife where, you know, we're sitting, you know, in my son's bedroom and like, we're both crying because like, we don't know what we're supposed to be doing. And I'm just like completely stressed out um, telling our congregation and just all that stuff. But it felt liberating at the end too, to to walk away and know that um, having the framework behind me now to know that it's okay to walk away, that God is still going to be walking with me. Because if I had, you know, that 18 year old kid walking on the college campus would not have been able to do that. And so that maturing process I think was really helpful. Um, And it's opened my eyes a little bit to see other people's stories more Mm -hmm. Um, because I don't think people were, I didn't have anybody at the time when I was going through that or leaving the process, um, helping me to figure out where God was at work in my life. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, I just felt like I was going through this by myself, trying to just muscle through it and, you know, I'd figure it out at the end. Um, But now, so that's one of the things I'm really passionate about, especially with the students, is helping them to, you know, helping them to figure out where God's actually working in their life when they feel like that they're, you know, going at it alone. Um, Because I think oftentimes, especially, you know, in the mainline, we're the mainline denominations, we are, you know, we don't talk about our faith much. We don't have parishioners who can articulate their faith 
um, well, I, I would I would argue. Um, and so it can be for especially for students and, and you know new people to faith, it can be hard for them to be able to say, well, this is where God was at work in this moment. Um, this is where God was at work five years ago when you're looking back on it and you can see exactly what happened. Um, so that's and so I guess coming out of this, that's what I've really through the maturing process, it's been how's God at work? And that's where we're at now. Well, who who were some of the you you mentioned that you you know you met Jason, mm-hmm. um, and so he and became those oh, figures to help you, yeah, uh, identify those things. Because the truth of the matter is, I know plenty of adults. I've sat in my office who are really wrestling with what you're describing, and yeah. and 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 not in a mainline. We're talking in a you know, low church, evangelical, one mm-hmm. of the more conservative denominations in the in the world, and they can sit and look at me across the table, and it's and and they are struggling to figure out how they can identify um, where God has been at work, and then and then in the same conversation, they tell you three things they just did to help someone in need, and you want to go time out. That's it. <laughs> time out, time out. You just described yes. the very thing that, yes. you know, that, that you want to know where God's at work. And I want, well, just, you just told me, you know, and, mm-hmm. and, and it takes someone to help someone, no matter where they are age wise, to put their finger on that. So who were those or, you know, for you personally, you, you've, you've described mm-hmm. it in terms of what you want to do for students and that that was yeah. instrumental for you. But, we don't do that by ourselves. You didn't arrive at that just, mm-hmm. you know, on an island. Yeah. Um, first, it was uh, I had a I had a professor. Um, her name's Dr. Valerie Bridgman. She was an adjunct professor at Wesley my first year, uh, and she rocked my world. Um, I walked into Old Testament, you know, introduction to Old Testament Hebrew Bible, and in the back of my mind, I ha- I'm thinking of like the NT Wright professor that you're going to have, you know, the balding white guy with the beard with the, you know, patch, <laughs> right. uh, patches on his elbows, you know, that, that type of stuff. And in walks in this five foot nothing uh, African-American woman with her little dog in tow. And she walks up and she introduces herself as a black liberation theologist. And I'm like, whoa, what is about to happen? <laughs> um, so Dr. Bridgman was probably the first one to really kind of help me to f- hear stories of where God was, God was at work, you know, throughout the history of Israel first. And she always did a really good job of tying that into either um, current events that were happening. Um, this was, I mean, this was all pre, you know, the, the civil rights stuff that we were, we're dealing with right now. Mm-hmm. It was before kind of we were getting honest with that stuff. Um, so, so she was probably the, the first one. And then the first year after, um, my, after my first year at Wesley was General Conference 2012, where absolutely nothing got done in the United Methodist Church. And uh, that was the one where Will Willimon, you know, retired bishop, said that we were the worst denomination in modern Christianity. Um, and Tony Jones came to our church to talk about that very subject. Uh, and that was the weekend I was being introduced as, like, the new director of youth ministries. Like, it was just, <laughs> like, it was so, probably not a good weekend for that. But see, Tony and I are sitting in the back of worship because I was supposed to like kind of escort him around that weekend. And he looks at me, he's like, why are you getting into this system? He wasn't, um, 
is like, is this something you really want to want to do? And he wasn't doing it in a way like to make fun of me. Right. He was legitimately asking like, what are your re- what's your reasoning for wanting to get into a system that's called by one of the people who's retiring from it as the worst system? Uh, and, and so that really helped me to begin thinking critically about why I was in the process, um, why I was in seminary. And so that got the ball rolling on trying to figure out where God, how, how God had gotten to me, gotten me to where I was at. And then also then in hindsight, that helps me figure out where God's helping other people get to where they're, they're at. Um, gosh. Yeah. So Dr. Bridgman, Tony, and then this guy by the name of Mike Stavland, he's the, mm-hmm. I've um, seen his name. yeah, he's the pastor of a church called, uh, of a church that meets at Jam and Java, you know, a little like music coffee bar uh, on Sunday mornings, uh, the common table. And he was a professor of mine at Wesley also. And we, we just became friends. Um, you know, now I, I refer to Mike as my friend and not as my former, my former professor. Um, and just showing me that church doesn't have to be high church because I grew up in high church and that's just not my style. Um, that it can be, rela- number one, it can be relational. The church is, you know, people when you go to church can actually talk to each other and care about one another. You know, I, I might try to count this Sunday and see how many times people ask me how I'm doing mm. and not even slow down enough to actually hear how I'm doing because, if, you know, if they really wanted, wanted to hear, it would probably take quite a while to explain it to them. Um, but, you know, just learning that church can be relational and that the hierarchies that are in place don't necessarily have to be there for a church to function and, and do church well. Um, yeah, so I would say the, those three outside of, of Jason and, and Dennis. I mean, D- Dennis was Dennis Perry. He, he was great. Um, now he was every, the pastor who stood you up, right? Yeah, he stood me up. But our <laughs> offices were right across from one another. So every Friday, um, I would always try to ditch out around 1 o'clock because traffic was terrible. Um, but he would have a way of, like, calling me into his office, like, around 1 o'clock, right, right, <laughs> right before 1 o'clock. I don't know if he realized he was doing this or not, but we would talk for, like, two hours oh, wow. about, you know, Youth ministry, the state of the church, theology, whatever I was doing in seminary, my family, um, and so the net showed me that this, you know, you know, almost sixty year old at the time, guy who's been in the system for thirty years, like he gets it, right? You know, he, he's been he, he's not completely institutionalized. Um, he'll be able to you know get out and still function on a day to day. So yeah, it was I would say a, a combination of those of those folks that really kind of helped me. Uh, and just having good mentors along the way, people that you sure. know you can call, sure. um, that, that's been good to have. Yeah, well, um, so um, let's pick up a, a back then where we, when we, I don't know if I'm going to, you know, include where we kind of first started. I was recording okay. just to get levels, but, but let's look at, uh, um, so now here we are. Um, you've identified these values. You've marked what it looks like to have good mentors and, and the sorts of things that you need to focus your attention on with students and, and with others, certainly. Yeah. And, and so now you've got that decision to make um, in the process. So, yeah. So, so kind of walk through... What, what are you thinking? I mean, what are, what are I mean, I, I, I know Tony and, and I, I, I really didn't think his question was, you know, was, was in any way unkind and, and you clarified that it wasn't. Yeah. I, I think that, you know, for Tony uh, and, and he was asking what we all, I think always ask ourselves. 
uh, yeah, whether it's you exactly. getting into this or me who've been where I'm at for 22 years now, are you really sure this is the thing you want to get into? Because mm-hmm. you, every, I think everybody has to step back and go, am I going to keep doing this? Uh, I've had those moments, yeah. you know, am I going to keep doing this? And, and then, you, you know, you get to the, so why or what, what's the motivation? So what are you, what are you kind of thinking that w- when you're trying to put that together is, is this, because maybe some young person's going to listen to this. Uh, I mean, you guys got a million listeners, I think. So maybe, um, <laughs> maybe someone will listen who's a young person who's yeah. maybe at that stage of, what are the things I'm I'm looking for? What are the things I'm asking myself? What what are the things I'm valuing that I'm thinking? Am I going to take that next step? It, I mean, first and foremost, I'm I've been I'm watching what's happening with the United Methodist Church right now, coming out of the last general conference, um, with you know the whole debate of human sexuality uh, and schism and split and all these terrible things for the body of Christ to do. I think we're uh, divided enough into denominations. Um, you know, we're so, you know, what's it? Sunday morning is the most segregated time on, in America. Like, that's already happening. We don't need to do it again. Um, we just need to have a conversation and figure this out. So I'm, I'm watching that first and foremost um, because I don't, quite frankly, I don't want to put in three years of provisional, you know, being a provisional elder just to, you know, to then have to decide which team do you want to go on? Do you want to go? Cause there's going to be a winner and there's going to be a loser and people are going to be upset about it. So that's, and I hate putting it in those terms, but that's just kind of the practical. Sure. Um, if I didn't have a kid, I think I, you know, prior to Camden being born, um, I was a, a little bit more carefree with it. So there's that, that's just the practical side. But then, you know, trying to figure this out, I'm, so I'm, I'm stretching myself theologically. I'm reading stuff I wouldn't normally read. I'm listening to people I wouldn't normally listen to. Uh, and that's been really helpful. One of the things I've started doing is in the mornings, I listen to um, podcasts that I, I really like or NPR. That's just, that's what I listen to uh, all morning, whether I'm in the car at the gym or in the office. In the afternoons, though, I listen to stuff I don't like. Um, so I listen to conservative talk radio, which is um, painful sometimes. I listen to some Joel Osteen. I listen to some other podcasts. Um, I don't want to give them any credit. Um, so I listen to stuff I don't like, which has forced me to be in a conversation with myself about the merits of the stuff I, I, I think that I don't like because they're not completely wrong. They're not completely off. Um, and so that's helped me to be in a conversation with myself trying to, to sort this stuff out, um, which has enabled me to be in conversation with other people um, other, you know, professionals who work in full-time ministry, clergy, um, who I might have disagreements with, but it's helped me to listen more. And I think that prior to, you know, when I first got into the, the ordination process and I decided I wasn't listening, I knew what I wanted to do, but I didn't, I wasn't sure of what God was calling me to do. I wasn't sure, um, what I was even getting myself into, you know, sitting through meetings and reading stuff. So now I'm just listening which has been really, really helpful because through listening, you get feedback from other people on preaching, mm-hmm. um, which is hard to do sometimes, mm-hmm. you know, because when you're walking yes. through the line on Sunday, everybody says it was great. Yes. Wish you would preach more often. You know, you got us out 10 minutes early. That was great. Um, but then, you know, Monday morning when the emails come, rather than just dismissing them as the crazy church people at the eight o'clock service of actually listening to what they're saying and, and, and thinking to yourself, 
there's some validity to what they're saying. I did speed through this. I, this was really unclear. Um, you know, looking back when I shouldn't have said what I said, that was wrong verbiage. You know, that was probably kind of offensive maybe. Um, so that's helped me grow, um, prof- I guess, professionally um, in, in that manner. Um, and so I'm, I'm hoping to, you know, and then the, my wife and I are also just talking and praying about it because for better or for worse in the United, you know, you know this, that um, being in the church for so long, you know, it, you're there as as the pastor, uh, but congregations have expectations of, of, of your partner. And, you know, Allison is, is one of those, she's not, she would describe herself as the world's worst pastor's wife because she's not baking cookies for VBS. You know, she is the one who volunteers for VBS and then, you know, is in and out all day because she has other stuff going on in her life. So we have that. And then just trying to figure out where we as a family want to be because itinerancy in the Methodist system is real. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and, and people go into it with special agreements on their files that, you know, I'll only stay in Northern Virginia or I'll only stay in Southeastern Virginia in the Tidewater area. And I don't want to be that person. Um, I want to be able to go where God's, God's calling me. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's a, it's a combination of all that. I know that's a lot of stuff. And for young people who listen, you know, that can be confusing. Um, but for me, it's just been listening, listening to, you know, God listening to my, my wife, listening to the people around me, trying to figure all that out. I, I don't know that that, I mean, I think you tied it all together. I, I know it sounds for a lot of people maybe like a lot, but, you know, um, last Sunday we're doing a series on, uh, a little short series on the Lord's Prayer in Luke, and, <laughs> you know, the end of chapter 10, you know, and Mary also sat with Jesus. And mm-hmm. and so you, you 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 can't escape that there's listening and there has to be listening. Yeah. And if you've already emphasized the fact that you you really you, you it was really important to learn and look for what God is doing where, that's listening. And so I, I wanted to kind of tease out a little bit um, this this practice. I, I this uh, practice of listening to. Uh, those things that you would, I think the simplest way is to say in the mor- my mornings are for, um, you know, what I agree with in my afternoon is what I disagree with. Yeah. And that's an oversimplification for sure. But, you know, I, I have to tell you, um, I, I love that discipline um, because yeah. I, I don't think that uh, it's healthy for a minister of any sort to only get what he gets, whether it's preaching mm-hmm. he's listening to, news he's yeah. getting to, opinions he's getting, whatever, from one location. Because as much as we are here in Oklahoma, in the, in the Bible Belt, and in Oklahoma, one of the most conservative states in the country, um, there's some... There's some Differences of opinion and idea every week yeah. in that congregation, mm-hmm. and just which because, is healthy, which is yeah, healthy exactly, and, and just because everybody that. everybody thinks that everybody's thinking the same thing, <laughs> that's that's a whole other subject to talk about pretense. But um, it, it is it is important to listen because um, you said it. I think you put it this way um, because they're not all wrong. They're not. There, there are there are bits that we glean 
about the other positions or opinions that are always filtered through someone we agree with. Mm-hmm. And when that happens, what gets hedged or shaded most often are the places where good point. Mm-hmm. Oh, I didn't think about it that way. Oh, I can see that angle. And yeah. it's a it's a disservice. Um I think I think personally to um listen to um only things you agree with in the morning and afternoon. Well, it's funny. It came out of a challenge last um, during Lent last year. One of the uh, so instead of giving up something for Lent, I added something, and uh, it was kind of a joke at first of doing forty days with Joel. Um, so I listened, and this was back when I was I was still working for the government. I had a nice long commute every day. I listened to nothing but Joel Osteen in the car. Um, an hour every morning and an hour and a half on the way home for 40 days. Um, and I blogged about it and I got, you know, I got some hate mail over it for, cause I was, you know, of course at first I'm, I'm poking fun at Joel Osteen, but at the end I walked away realizing that, you know, while his theology is not a hundred percent of what I agree with, right. he's sharing the gospel. Mm-hmm. Um, he's effective doing it so I can learn something from his presentation. Mm-hmm. He's a very eloquent speaker. He is on point with, you know, he knows exactly what he's saying. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that, you know, for me to completely dismiss him, you know, I, you know, cause I, you know, if someone brings up, brings him up, I, you know, before I would just laughingly blow it off. Um, but you can't tell me that everybody, you know, every theologian is completely wrong. Correct. Uh, and for better or worse, you know, if, if, if I get to call myself a theologian, Joel Osteen gets to call himself a theologian. Like that's that's the way this works. Everybody right. is allowed to participate. You know, that's that was right. one of the great things that came out of the Reformation was this whole idea that we're all in this priesthood together. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we, I think we've gotten away from that also. Sure. Uh, but I just I just want to be in conversation with people. You know, whether you're a you know far off to the left progressive Christian or you know you're ultra conservative. Um, there's a church down the street that says um, it's a it's a Baptist church, and um, their tagline is that they're independent and fundamental. I'm mm-hmm. not really sure what that means, but I want to be in conversation with them too. We, I'm I'm sure we can find common ground, and that common ground is, you know, in my experience, has been uh, the grace that God offers all of us. And you know, how cool would it be if you know, for me in my United Methodist context, where we are talking about schism and separation and all those terrible things. If we started all those conversations that we're getting ready to have, starting with the grace of God first, mm-hmm. right. rather than our entrenched, you know, mostly probably political ideologies that we're bringing to the table, if we just started with grace first and let the conversation go from there, I, I really think that um, the conversations that we have in our congregations and also within our denominations would probably be, um, they would look closer to what God has in mind for what the kingdom is supposed to look like versus you know the debacle that seems to be happening in, in a lot of our communities right now yeah i agree hey and that's a good word to word to end up on uh, yeah and i and i think that um you've you've done in a variety of ways and i appreciate it you have really hammered the value of relationship and so yeah. there's that's been kind of a thread from the get for you and i think that, that is a uh, a really important key because um, in the end, it's that recognition that humanizes everybody. 
Mm-hmm. And if if relationship doesn't sit at the top or near the top, then other human beings simply become uh, obstacles for navigation in my experience of yeah. life. And mm-hmm. instead, they're actually there for all the possibilities that await in yes. engaging uh, whatever degree and level. And so I appreciate your emphasis there, and I appreciate your time. And oh, yeah, I will, this is uh, my pleasure. I will, I will link to my favorite podcast uh, when I put this up, and, and I'll let you know, let the world know. They should five-star yeah. rate. They should take the time all to log into things. iTunes oh. and say, hey, this is the best in the world. And who knows, we probably could push your listenership up to about two million. So, Well, um, you know, it's, fun, it's funny with these podcasts is that uh, and you know this because you edit your own podcast, that people don't understand that you know, when, for a 30-minute podcast – there was at least 30 minutes of editing that went in also because you had to listen to it again. And sometimes if it's a bad podcast, it's painful, but you got to get through it and you got to like splice it all together to make it sound good. Um, And so, you know, you know, I, you know, I, when I'm listening to stuff by like, you know, your podcast and, you know, homebrewed Christianity with trip, um, you know, just appreciating, you know, that an hour long podcast um, is great to listen to. They're great to record, but it is Darn! Oh, there's so many bad words I want to say right now. So painful. There we go. That I, that one doesn't have to be edited out. Uh, they're painful to edit. That's exactly um, right. So thank you for all you do, um, yeah. so that my mornings can go somewhat uh, enjoyable before the afternoon comes. There you go. There you go. Well, I appreciate it. Well, hey, uh, we'll do it again. Awesome. Uh, this is this was a lot we'll of fun. We'll do this again. So uh, I want to say thanks. All right. Thanks, Todd. Hey, as always, thanks for listening. Just wanted to uh, encourage you that if you found the podcast helpful with Tear, that you might share it. I'm certain that you'll find the value in relationships, new relationships, and how we're formed by them, and certainly know someone uh, who might be helped by our conversation. You know, Pathological is an affiliate podcast with the Roundtable Media Group. We've got a number of podcasts over at roundtablemediagroup.com. And I'd encourage you to subscribe to any of those over there. There are a variety, so there are themes and subjects. Their aims and goals are all just a little bit different. And if you happen to be an advertiser and you'd like to advertise with Roundtable Media Group, you could email me at todd at roundtablemediagroup.com. And if you happen to be someone who would be interested in starting up your own podcast and you're looking for someone who might give you a hand or a group to kind of affiliate with to help get you along the way, Uh, email me uh, as well, uh, Todd at roundtablemediagroup.com. We'd love to uh, help you. We're looking to add to our uh, uh, shows and those who want to affiliate with us. And so we'd love to help you get started and maybe learn from our mistakes and uh, together uh, maybe help you along get your uh, ideas out, your conversations that you want to share or whatever might be on your mind that would motivate or inspire you to develop your own podcast. Uh, So until next time, this is Todd Lilson with Pathological, the podcast for the pastor theologian, where we explore the connections, the intersections between life and faith and pastoral work, pastoral ministry, or the vocation of pastoring. And remember, if you know someone that might be helped by the content on the podcast, we encourage you to share. Until next time, peace. Peace.